This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swing and a drive! Swing, there's a shot! High drive! Out of here! This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. Challenger strikes out swinging. Playing the miss, he struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside Giant Moments. Yastrzemski, gone! And late night Lamont strikes again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, Parker. With Adam Copeland. What's going on? Welcome back into the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland, back with another edition of the podcast, Talking Giants Baseball. We said all season long a little bit of an extension here into the offseason, and a fun podcast for you today is for the first time this year, we get a chance to wrap up 2022 with the skipper of the Giants, the 2021 National League Manager of the Year, Gabe Kapler. Talk to him about some of the struggles throughout the season, but also how you prepare to bounce back and build a sustainable product into next year. If you look at the teams that made the playoffs and have had success, in Major League Baseball's postseason this year. It's a lot of big market teams, but it's also a lot of high-budget teams, teams like the Padres, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Phillies. These are all teams that went out and spent a lot over the offseason, as well as making big trades and developing young talent, which is, I think, the hybrid you need to have. Now, the analytics have proven to get you through the course of a regular season. We've seen low-budget teams like the A's, teams like the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, who may be one of the marquee teams to follow as far as that stuff is concerned across all of baseball, but not much postseason and success for those teams. You might say the Astros were one of those teams just a couple of years ago, which brings us to another topic. The new general manager with the Giants, Scott Harris, who had been here for uh, three seasons uh, since uh, 2020 when Farhan hired him to be the general manager in that uh, that pandemic season. So we really just got to know him for 2021 and 2022, uh, working under Farhan when the Giants created that baseball of operations, that president of baseball operations uh, role following Bobby Evans' tenure as general manager. And in 2019, Farhan did it himself. Uh, he, he brought in his own people, of course, as far as scouting and development goes, and started to sort of structure and take inventory of what the roster and what the team and the farm system had in stock. Then for 2020, he hires Scott Harris, who was here for just a couple of years. But a few weeks ago, Scott Harris took the role as president of baseball operations of the Detroit Tigers. And uh, I look at this sort of, you know, you look across uh, uh, pro sports, and you see this a lot uh, in, in football. You see it in basketball some. But mostly in football, you see this where a coach comes up, he, he starts bringing in his own guys uh, to, to help him run the team. Offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, QB coaches, offensive assistants, run game coordinators. All those things that we're starting to see in baseball as a more diverse group of coaches uh, in terms of what it is that they specialize in and what it is that they bring to the roster and to the team. And I always think it's it's sort of frustrating when you've got a great team and then you lose a great coach. The 49ers had it happen a couple of years ago where Robert Sala, who was the D coordinator when they went to the Super Bowl in 2019, left to take a head coaching job with the, uh, the New York Jets. And they struggled at the start of last year under new defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans. 
this year experiencing some of the same thing where you lose Mike McDaniel, the offensive coordinator. He takes the head coaching job with the Miami Dolphins, and now the offense is sputtering just a little bit, and they're trying to, to stabilize and figure things out. So while it's frustrating, I think, when you're the good team that's losing these great coaches, it's a positive thing when other organizations are looking at the talent that you have in your staff, in your player development, in your evaluation of talent, and saying, we need that guy or somebody like that in our organization. So this happened with Donnie Ecker. They lost the uh, their hitting coach from last season in the 107 win season in 2021 to go be the bench coach because it was an elevated position for him and another step closer to being a manager. He took that role to go out and uh, and be with the Texas Rangers last offseason. So uh, this is all uh, what while it could be a, a viewed as, as something sort of frustrating and another big change within the organization and the front office. It's also something you look at and say, okay, so people around the league are looking at the way the Giants have rebuilt and, and developed and obviously lots of work to do still this offseason and saying that's the talent we need here. So Scott Harris ends up leaving the Giants and going to the Detroit Tigers, and the Giants bring in a brand-new general manager, Pete Patella, from the Houston Astros organization, a 33-year-old. And the good thing about him is he has spent time in that Astros organization for over a decade since he was 22 years old. He was with the Astros and worked in all sorts of different uh, avenues as far as the club is concerned. Player uh, evaluation, uh, worked in the video room at one point for them doing video replay stuff. So he's uh, joining the organization and the Giants have the task of trying to turn things around to go beyond 81 and 81 in 2023. That's going to bring us to our conversation. The skipper, the manager of the San Francisco Giants, won manager of the year in 2021. And he's got some thoughts and plans about how Major League Baseball may go about uh, as far as the, the coaches and the managers and the gameplay is concerned, what's going to be the learning curve with some of the rule changes we'll see? How do the Giants build a sustainable product going forward? And how do you evaluate some of the talent and some of the down years we saw from some of the guys within the organization in 2022? And the guy who will be at the helm joins us next. It's Gabe Kapler right here on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Inside Giant Moments podcast, the manager of the San Francisco Giants. First time we've had you on this year. Gabe, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? Adam, I'm doing well up here in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, seeing my son, Dane. So outside taking a little walk and really good to chat with you always love it do, do you go up there often have you been up to, to vancouver uh, many times or is this just the first to go see him play uh, i came during the all-star break she wanted to kind of visit with him and his girlfriend so we spent a little time together then uh tomorrow he's got a game we're gonna go have dinner tonight it's just a great way to catch up and kind of ease into the off season i can work from wherever right now so i can travel and have my conversations my zoom calls and calls like this from wherever i may as well be near my son yeah, good deal, man. It's uh, it's it's good to get away. I know we all do it when when Christmas rolls around or vacation, summer vacation for everybody else. So uh, managers and, and baseball players need it too. When, when the season ends, and, and I'm wondering sort of the difference between when you were a player and a manager, how, how do you reflect on the season? I imagine it's it's different thought process from playing and managing, but have you spent some time already or does that come later? No, that's that's happening all the time. And I actually don't think there's a date on the calendar where you start reflecting. I don't think it's about, oh, the season ends and then the reflection starts. I think you probably reserve the majority of it for the offseason, so you stay pretty focused in the moment. But I think we were doing some reflection all the way through the season. The thing that stands out to me most is really taking this offseason seriously and using it as an opportunity to build, um, both literally, like lean tissue, strength, good mechanical foundation, but then also you know, figuratively, a, a chance to kind of refresh and regroup and, and get ready for 23. Uh, what's the biggest difference about a manager's offseason compared to a, a player's offseason uh, for you? Um, well, one thing that stands out to me is as a player, snowboarding, skydiving, <laughs> advent, adventure things were absolutely off limits. And I didn't want to take any chances. And um, in my position, I can do essentially whatever I want. And 
I really appreciate that freedom. It suits my personality well. And look, I'm, I'm planning potentially to get in a, a conversion van and drive from here in Vancouver, BC to Banff and the national park up here. Um, and look, like I, I want to go rock climbing and hiking and swimming in rivers and things like that. And I don't really want to be con- too concerned about twisting an ankle or slipping on a rock or anything like that. I want to be uh, having the freedom to go wherever I want to go. So um, the manager's off season suits me much better than a player's off season suits me. Yeah, a little bit more freedom. You can uh, you can get into the uh, the stuff you want to do, as you mentioned the the extreme sports, the rock climbing, the skydiving. It's uh, it's all good, all above board. Uh, in terms of getting away from the game, do you follow baseball playoffs closely when when you're not involved, or do you keep tabs on it over the off season? Yeah, I mean, I follow it. I, I probably follow it more loosely than you might expect. Or, mm-hmm. You know, following scores on Twitter, you know, reading um, storylines, checking out highlights. But uh, for me personally. I'm not going to sit down and watch a game, you know, every inning. I've had enough baseball this season and <laughs> there, there are other things that, that I'm interested in. And it, look, it doesn't mean that I can't study what's happening in, in these games. There's plenty of opportunity to review um, film and, and learn as much as I can. I'm not going to sit down and watch these games, you know, every inning. Understandable. Uh, I, I'm, I look at it, and I was thinking from your perspective, maybe, uh, I'd imagine some of the relationships you've made with people around the game sort of affect, like, who you'd like to, to see have success. I was thinking your old manager, Terry Francona, is in the postseason with the Guardians. How crazy is that? Super cool. I mean, he's he's been doing his thing for a long time and doing it incredibly successfully. I think managers around the game, but generally people around the game, can look at Tito and, and appreciate what he's accomplished and take some cues. I mean, he's done things very, very well. He's ridged the gap between a traditional baseball manager's perspective and kind of a new school manager's perspective. He's created incredible relationships in the front office. And um, yeah, it's a hall, he's a hall of fame manager and one that I really respect. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so you just wrap up fifth season managing overall. Uh, how do you think you've evolved in, in that role as a manager uh, for, from what you were expecting and, and the managing style you had, maybe year one in Philadelphia in 2018. What have you learned? How have you changed from where you are now at the end of 2022? I think at the end of 2022, um, I'm much more inquisitive than I ever was. I think it's probably my biggest adjustment. I think year one, I had a lot of ideas, wanted to implement those ideas, was excited about them and even pushing through some, some barriers that I may have probably slowed down through at the time. I was kind of crashing through them fast. And I think in 22, um, you know, when I get in a room full of our coaches or uh, a, a Zoom call with our front office, I'm just in a position of wanting to ask more questions than, than have answers. I was thinking about you in the last couple of weeks of the season uh, when you guys were playing well. I think you won 12 of your last 16 games, got back to 500. Because, like, in the NFL, the NFL was getting going, and you get all these coaches who have never played before. It doesn't mean they don't understand the game or, or understand what it takes to be a winner. But I, I think sometimes teams will, you know, you fall out of favor a little bit. You're not having the season you're hoping for. But with a guy like you at the helm who's been through seasons like that, you understand the grind into September when things aren't going well. How do those experiences as a player help you in navigating kind of the challenges you guys faced and keeping guys motivated and doing in the job and playing the game the right way in September? Yeah, no, it's great. I'm really glad you're asking that question. So as a player, I saw playoff caliber teams. I was on a World Series winning team in, in Boston in 2004, playoff team in Tampa, playoff team in Milwaukee. I know what that feels like in September. Uh, last year, 2021, we won a lot of games. know what that feels like. Those are really good feelings. But I also have the experiences of being on some teams that had some challenges and, and my early uh, teams with the Detroit Tigers certainly fall, fell into that category. Uh, we were a 500 team. Those teams were, were much, much worse. 
But what I can tell you is what I learned how to navigate is when people are saying, well, this thing is happening on our field in this clubhouse. And they're like, that shouldn't be happening. One of the things that I always remember is those things that were happening happen in every clubhouse that struggles, every single one of them, everyone I played in, it was nothing new, nothing surprising. And so it helps me keep a very even keel. It helps me keep good perspective, not get too high or too low. Um, understanding that baseball teams kind of have to be evaluated over a decade instead of in a 30 game stretch, a 60 game stretch, and sometimes even a full season, because there's a lot of ebbs and flows. Look, there are some teams that have built perennial contenders, teams that win year in, year out, um, that have captured division titles for many years in a row. And what I would say is that is ultimately our ambition. We were not there yet. And we have work to do to get there. We believe that we will get there. But sometimes you have to take a step back and take a step forward. And I think that's what happened this year. I think it's a great way to look at it. I mean, there's only one winner at the end of a year. But you mentioned teams like nobody would look at the Braves in the 90s and say they weren't successful. You go like 16 straight division titles, even though the Dodgers have only got one in 2020. Obviously, they've had a successful run. In, in terms of building sustainable success, as a manager, what's your role in that? Because obviously there's player development stuff. You said something when you came in and when Farhan got here that you were going to continue to coach at the big league level. And I've always loved that because it's not like get to the bigs and then roll the ball out. Guys have to develop. You've got to adjust. Pitchers adjust to you and vice versa. Uh, what's your role as a manager in continuing sort of to, to build a sustainable, uh, uh, successful product or, or team over the next decade plus? No, no, that's very well said. And, and it starts with player development, as you mentioned, because I think the manager's role, um, first, it's to be connected to the entire organization. It's, it's player development, it's scouting, amateur and, and international and pro scouting. So you understand what's happening around the game and, and what's happening around the league. Uh, but just as importantly, we have to be focused on building the best possible players at the major league level and stay focused on that task. So our culture is one of, if you are Brandon Crawford or Evan Longoria and you are in your mid thirties, sometimes even late thirties, there is still plenty of development to be had. We can teach you new tricks. We can teach you how to train a little bit differently. Uh, we can support you in the things that you already know and that you've already figured out in the many successful years you've had at the major league level. Or if you're Logan Webb or Camilo Dobal, or even uh, guys that are coming up for the first time, Elliot Ramos or, or Sean Jelly. We have to be focused on quickly tuning you up so you can be competitive at the major league level. Now, that work has already started at the minor league level with our farm director, Kyle Haynes, and, and his entire staff. But there are new things that these guys need to learn on the fly and very immediately that are critically important. So we stay to those core philosophies on the pitching side. It's push the pace, count the zone, and know your plan. On the hitting side, it's really control the strike zone, swing at pitches that you can drive, be especially patient on pitches that you can't, and training those things at a very high intensity level without overdoing it and, and beating our guys up. So those are the things that a major league manager is responsible for. We have a lot of ways that we need to focus on and get better. Um, and we're always trying to strike that right balance between intense development, uh, practice strategies, and then uh, rest and recovery and health and wellness strategies. And that's where we are currently.
And I think you've done a good job of that. I mean, I remember Logan Webb at the end of the year when, when you guys decided, you know, he, he sort of reached the innings limit. And he said to the, to the media, I thought this was a great line from a young player saying, look, man, I don't want to just be good this year. I want to do this for the next decade or, or 15 years. I want to be around for a long time. This is something that we're trying to build sustainably. Do, do you think that that's unique for a young player to have that perspective on that? Like nobody would blame him if he said, no, I want to be out there. I want to keep competing. But also to have the perspective that this is something that's not in a vacuum here. This is, this is about what you said, building success over many years. Yeah, Logan has some incredible perspective. He's really developing as a leader in our clubhouse, and he really wants he really wants to carry that torch. And I'm mm-hmm. impressed by that. He said all the right things publicly. Look, he still has a long way to go. I mean, he has um, a lot of development left, and obviously his arsenal is excellent. The sinker is a very effective major league pitch. The slider change of combination are two of the better off-speed offerings from a right-handed pitcher, at least in our division, but perhaps even in baseball. So all the ingredients are intact. I think there's a maturity and a decision-making process that Logan is still working through and is going to continue to grow and develop with. Now he's in his mid-20s. That's totally understandable. He shouldn't be a finished product. Our job as coaches, guides, mentors, partners, thought partners, is to constantly be raising the bar while supporting, right? So sure, he's taking some big steps forward. We know that the bar is even higher and we're going to continue to push him to achieve you know, the highest possible goals. He should be mentioned in the converse, the Cy Young Award conversation every year. He's got that type of arsenal and talent. I'm with you, man. Uh, and because uh, because he's not just a pure strikeout guy, too. I mean, I think that plays uh, uh, to some of his abilities, understanding he's not just throwing the ball, not throwing the ball by guys. He's letting his defense work a little bit. Uh, I was looking at, at some of the managers you played for, and a lot of them were guys that I grew up watching just as, you know, as a fan. There were the managers, uh, you know, when I was becoming a baseball fan in my, my youth. Uh, is there one of the managers you played for? I'm looking at, like, you know, Madden, Francona, Buddy Bell, Phil Garner, just some of the guys you were around that helped sort of – I don't know, impact you or, or what made you sort of get on the path to managing, or is it something you always wanted to do? Um, so I can say all of those managers were, were influential in their own ways. The one thing that Joe Madden told me that I'll never forget is um, right when I started managing, he's like, don't, don't try to be any other, any other baseball manager. You're not going to be able to do it. You have to be yourself. And Joe was really good at that. Right. He was like, yeah, he owned, he owned who he was. Um, and he was right. Like, I can't be, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be both. Like he's just, we're just two completely different personality types. He's a hall of fame manager who's had a, an extraordinary level of success in San Francisco and probably will go do it again. Um, but I can't be Bruce Bochy. And when I was in Philadelphia, um, there were, you know, managers that came before me, Charlie Manuel's beloved in Philly, but I can't be mm-hmm. Charlie Manuel either. Like these aren't guys that, that I can try to be like, it's have to be, you know, kind of the best version of myself and own, the ways that, that I'm a little bit different and, and be okay with those. So um, that's number one. All of those managers that you mentioned had influence on me in, in many different ways. But I would say that there are, there are no people in baseball that influence me the way my dad influenced me or influenced me the way my brother influenced me or my best friends influenced me. Like I, I respect baseball talent. I respect success in the game. But it's, it's not enough for me. Like I, I just – you know, good game strategy. Great. You know, um, you know, really intelligent baseball people. Awesome. But it's just not, it it doesn't make me tick. My, my dad's influence is, is way more powerful. And, you know, the, the man that I am today is, is really about the influence that he had on me, my mom and other family members. And, you know, I, I, when anybody asks me who are my influences, influencers and mentors in the game, I always point to my family because they just had way more impact. 
Because that's what makes you who you are, right? I mean, we're talking baseball here, but you couldn't get to where you are in baseball if you weren't who you are and had the ability to think in the way that you think. Have you think that's been beneficial for you? Because uh, you've been a guy who's been, I mean, we, we've talked about it, or I mentioned it to you in the past, uh, uh, your thought process about, you know, what's going on inside guys' heads, what's happening in the outside world. We're lucky here to have guys like you and Steve Kerr in the Bay Area who reflect on that stuff publicly and talk about that stuff and i think that that comes from being who you are that's genuinely who you are this isn't a a company throwing up an ad for black history month or for pride month saying hey look at us we're a part of this you you've sort of to put the money where your mouth is and and i think that to your point is not about you know baseball strategy or baseball managers that's about becoming who you are and and being a good person day to day i i really appreciate the way you're thinking about it and the way you're articulating it the way you're presenting it because it's absolutely true i look like I, those things that you mentioned, I'm, I'm naturally fascinated by. Like, I sure. would be naturally fascinated by those things, whether I was a baseball manager or um, doing any other number of jobs that I'd be interested in doing. So, you know, whether that is social justice issues, whether it's just human psychology, what makes people mm-hmm. tick, I, I would be inquisitive about those things and talk about those things no matter what um, field I worked in. So I appreciate being able to focus on those things whenever possible. I appreciate it as a fan, man. I really do. Uh, I know so much work goes on behind the scenes th- throughout the season that us fans never see. Uh, you know, you, you see players turn corners. You see guys put in the work. Is there a guy who maybe we don't know the jump he made personally uh, to develop his game this year or abilities that you're excited about? I think about a bunch of the young guys came up. Uh, VR is one that comes to mind and then went back down and was obviously had made the adjustment, figured out how guys were pitching him, made an adjustment. Is there somebody maybe less obvious or somebody that comes to mind that you saw put in the work that you're excited about their future? Yes. So last year, um, around this time, Tyro Estrada started uh, posting his workout videos. And look, I, I've always been fascinated by Tyro's work ethic because nobody really, really sees it. He's super quiet. He's obviously a native Spanish speaker, uh, doesn't speak uh, fluent English. So he's not able to kind of articulate his thoughts on camera at any point. But this guy is a tireless worker and he is, his aptitude is incredible. If you give him feedback on his swing or on fielding mechanics, he's on it right away. He's totally accountable, incredibly durable. And, and durability is something that really needs to be appreciated in today's game. It's really hard to stay physically um, strong and healthy through 162 games plus 30 games in spring training plus the playoffs if you're lucky enough to, to get there. So Tyro has created a durable, versatile powerful, explosive, athletic package. And I don't think any of us really fully appreciated um, what he was capable of until this season. He was so, um, so consistent. And I don't think, not that the 500 record is is anything to write home about, but I I don't feel like we would have achieved even what we achieved without Tyro's contributions. I was all in on Tyrell like two years ago when he hit that home run off of Devin Williams. Uh, what do they call it? The airbender, that changeup. He smoked a, a changeup into the, the left field bleachers. I was like, this guy can run into one. And he's got some pop, too. He can play all over the field, and he's got some pop. Yeah, he's got some pull side pop. He, the, yeah. His pop kind of reminds me of, of Donovan Solano's, right? He's, not, he's yeah. not a guy who, when he's driving the ball to the right side, he's going to beat a ton of outfielders, although he can do it. But when he gets it in the air to the pull side, he, he can really hit it hard. And look, he doesn't have to be Aaron Judge. He just has to be a guy that can move around the diamond, be athletic at second, shortstop, and third base, maybe play a little center field. Look, we tried him in left field. Um, it, it wasn't perfect, but he's certainly athletic enough to do it. And I think if we give him some exposure to center field, that might be his best outfield position. So um, 
yeah, again, he's not, we're not dependent on his power. It's a bonus, uh, but he's won some games for us with that power and with some big time clutch hitting. You know, you played games at Oracle Park as a player. I know you were in Colorado. You played games there. Can you ever, or have you discussed with guys, or when guys come up, can you give any uh, any input or any thought on how to play certain places? I know that the dimensions have changed a little bit, and right field's just kind of a wild card. If it hits off the bricks, it's a totally different deal. But in terms of the sun, in terms of the wind, can you give any knowledge or input on that to players based on your experiences? Definitely. Well, based on my experiences and based on what I've seen from our players that at sure. times, frankly – has frustrated me, and I've told them as much. And if you're an outfielder uh, playing at Oracle Park, but this is actually applies across the board, but specifically at Oracle Park, you have to, when the ball goes up, you have to expect that you're going to catch everything. The ball's not going to be in the place that you think it's going to be. So sometimes it goes up, you give up on it, and it lands in your area. And if you're not 100% committed to catching every baseball on the field, I mean talking about like when the ball looks like it's popped up to the shortstop and you're playing center field, you need to be thinking that you're going to catch that ball. And to take that a step further, if you're the center fielder, you're calling off anybody on the field, anybody on the diamond. That means if you could get there, you can call off Joey Bart camped underneath a baseball behind home plate. So you have to think like that because the, the aggressiveness will help you trick yourself into going all the way through the baseball. So Mike Yastrzemski did a, an extraordinary job of adjusting with this this year. He tells himself that he can catch anything, so he never lays up on a ball. And he never feels like somebody else is going to catch it and then it drops between them. So it really is a, a mindset about what happens before the baseball goes up in the air, which is just catch everything, play ultra aggressive, even around the wall. If you, if you blow it and it, and it hits a, a, a specific corner and bounces the wrong way, so be it. But don't make uh, mistakes passively, make them aggressively. And that's really the key to playing good D at, at Oracle Park. That, that's good insight because it felt to me, and I don't have evidence to back this up, it just felt watching you guys for 162 that, that Yaz was laying out for more balls and, and having success with it this year. It seemed like he was going hard and playing aggressive on some of those flies. He was great with it. Austin Slater made some adjust yeah. adjustments and, and was getting better with it. Some of our less athletic outfielders, and rightfully so, sometimes your body says, I'm not going to get to that ball, but the ball stays in the air a little bit longer than you thought it might have. And so a ball drops in front of you, and it was something in your brain that had you slow down or, or quit on a ball. So uh, the, the less athletic outfielders are the ones that actually have to trick themselves even more, that they're going to get to the baseball. And that way they never stop sprinting. They use every bit of their athletic ability to, to catch a ball that they otherwise may have, may have not gotten to. That, that's good insight because it felt to me, and I don't have evidence to back this up, it just felt watching you guys for 162 that, that Yaz was laying out for more balls and, and having success with it this year. It seemed like he was going hard and playing aggressive on some of those flies. Yeah, I think teams are going to move their outfielders around a little bit more. I think what you're going you're gonna to see is uh, we're going to figure out which, which batters hit the ball on the ground the most, and we're going to try to take away balls in front of us, like by way of example, with the right fielder. I think that's one adjustment that could be made. With respect to the pitch clock, I think this is an interesting one. I think teams are going to have to decide what the, the right amount of recovery that a pitcher needs between pitches, and then he's going to have to be a little bit more consistent with the timing of when he delivers his pitches. For instance, if it's 15 seconds between pitches for any specific pitcher, he's going to be around that 15-second mark oftentimes. If, by way of example, Junior Marte – will sometimes take 18 pitches between and 18 seconds between pitches. The next time he might take 27 um, seconds between pitches. So developing some degree of consistency that your body can depend on 
I think is going to be critically important. So that's, that's one thing that I think pitchers are going to be thinking about um, and not just in spring training, but, but going into spring training, using this off season as a testing ground. Just thinking about this, because I don't know if it's unique to you guys or if you have other ones. We had Harvey Martin, the, the breath coach on uh, the podcast earlier this year. It was a lot of fun talking to him. D- do you think that plays a role in any of that? Because he talks about that and understanding your heart rate in certain moments. Do you think in between pitches, because I understand recovery, but do you think breathing is going to play a role in any of that, having a shorter period of time or or a restricted period of time between pitches? I think to some degree or another, because we're going to need to see a degree of aerobic conditioning that we haven't seen mm-hmm. in the past for some pitchers. Again, Using Junior as an example, um, you know, he's not going to be able to take that 25 seconds of recovery time between pitches. So whether it's through breathing techniques like the ones you talked to Harvey about or through aerobic conditioning that takes place in the offseason and then maybe a little less frequently during during the season, these guys are going to have to make adjustments. It's going to be a learning curve, I think, for everybody uh, as we get into the season, except for maybe some young guys who had the pitch count or uh, pitch clock in the minor leagues. Maybe uh, maybe they'll be more adjusted to that at the start of the year. Uh, another big one for you guys in the last week or so, you guys get a new GM. Pete Patilla comes over from the Astros to join Farhan's team. Uh, did you know him before the hire? You had a chance to talk philosophy or, or offseason plans. And what do you think he brings in the immediate and in the long term to you guys? Yeah, Farhan brought Pete in to interview before we hired Scott Harris. And um, in that in that process, I got to know Pete pretty well, and I found him to be very thoughtful, very patient. Um, his content is excellent. And when I got to know him again in, in this this last interview process, I think what stood out to me the most was his his focus on strength and conditioning, um, strength and conditioning in player development, which I was really happy to hear because I do think that um, in our organization and also at the major league level, um, these are things that can really move the needle for players. So I I don't know, you take a guy like Tyro Estrada, for example, if Tyro is really focused on his strength and conditioning, uh, there's a chance that he can add just a tiny bit more power in an off season and come back and really make an impact, um, you you know, by hitting, hitting for power. So I think these are things that Pete's invested in, but not just strength and condition. His content across the board has been super solid very concise. Uh, he's not a guy that is, is focused on things that don't really move the needle. He boils it down to the things that matter most and focuses attention there. And, and for that reason, I think he has a chance to make a pretty big impact for us, um, not just in 23, but going forward. And the great thing about him is he's young, but he's been in different roles across that Astros organization since he was like 22. He's done video room stuff. He's done uh, player development, scouting stuff. I think he's done he's done a great job. It'll be uh, be fun to see what impact he has immediately on the organization. If you could go back and, and look at the 2022 Giants highlight video or reel, is there a game or a moment or something fun for you that you'll look back on this year and remember something that stands out? Um, I mean, I think the Mike Yastrzemski homer off off Hater was that was just a phenomenal moment in our season. Unreal, yeah, unreal. yeah, yeah, su- super cool. Wilmer's walk-off homer against the Phillies was another cool one. Um, I mean, look, we have those walk-off homers are just, they're just so dramatic and so much they're fun. Different. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think they're, they're the most unique thing in sports. Nobody, in no other sport do you win a game and watch the other team walk off while you celebrate. It's the, it's the literal walk-off. It's fun, man. It's cool. A hundred percent. So those, those are two that stand out to me. Yeah, those are uh, those are good ones. Uh, before we let you go, I was trying to end the podcast with a fun one. We were talking just managers uh, in the past. I hadn't realized you played for so many in Major League Baseball. How many of the managers you played for do you think you can name? You could probably you may be able to name all of them. I'm just wondering, can you do it? I should be able to name all of them. <laughs> uh, do you want me to try to name all of them? Yeah, well, why don't you why don't you try to name as many as you can? I think there's ten, something like that. Yeah, so I think you mentioned 
Buddy Bell. I'm not, see, I'm not even sure if Buddy was the manager when I came up in 98. I think it might have been Larry Parrish. I think Buddy might have been in spring training. So my manager okay. with Detroit Tigers was Larry Parrish. Then I went to uh, Texas. It was Johnny Oates for a minute. And then it was Jerry Naren. Mm-hmm. I went to Colorado. And I think it was Clint Hurdle. And let's see, I went to, I went after Colorado. Oh, it was Boston. So um, Grady Little. And then, and then Terry Francona. And then I went to Japan. I'm not going to go there with the manager. Um, and then I came back and uh, I was, I was still in Boston and, and that was, that was Tito. Then 2008, I was with Ned Yost in Milwaukee. Uh, 2009 and 10 was Joe Madden in Tampa. 2011 was Don Mattingly in spring training with the, uh, with the Dodgers. And I think that's it. I think that covers all my major league managers. I think you got him, dude. That's, that's good work, man. I mean, uh, I, I can't remember every manager I've had at every job I've had. So that's a, that's impressive work, man. Uh, Gabe, appreciate the time. It's always fun catching up. Uh, have a great off season, rest, recover, get some work in focus for next year. And, uh, and we'll get after it again. Come spring training, man. Thanks so much, Gabe. Thanks, Adam. Always great talking to you. We'll talk soon. I want a fun conversation with Gabe Kapler. Wide-ranging, how you spend your offseason. The biggest differences between being a manager and a, uh, a, a player in Major League Baseball's offseason is the fun stuff you can do as manager. Uh, as Gabe's uh, up north, of course, he mentioned in Canada, hanging out with his son and, uh, and taking in the offseason here and uh, stepping away from baseball just a bit. But uh, soon enough, we'll be turning the page on uh, on the next phase of the offseason. Uh, he did say at one point uh, earlier this week with myself and Tom Tolbert on KNBR 105 four, five, and 680 that uh, he wants to be a part of the recruiting process this offseason when the Giants go after potentially some of the biggest names on the free agent market. Aaron Judge of the Yankees, a free agent, Xander Bogarts, Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, leaving the Minnesota Twins, opting out of his contract. So lots of uh, availability on this roster for some big-time talent. We'll see where the Giants go with it and which role Gabe Kapler plays in that role. Also, the new general manager, Pete Patella, we're hoping to track him down and have a conversation with him coming up soon on the inside Giant Moments podcast. Until then, enjoy the rest of this week. Uh, Enjoy the playoff baseball that's going on. A lot of good baseball being played. It's been a lot of fun. I'm missing my Giants in October, but it's been fun to get back to Major League Baseball's postseason. Enjoy all of those games as we move into the National League and American League Championship Series. I've been your host, Adam Copeland. You've been listening to the Inside Giant Moments podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Swing and a drive! Home run for Brandon Crawford. This. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Is. Yastrzemski! Gone! And late night Lamont strikes, strikes again. again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Inside Giant Moments. It's headed for the bay! The third of the night for Jock Peterson. With Adam Copeland. Well, strikeouts and they're on their feet here at Oracle Park for Carlos Rodon. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.